to me, success is about what impact are you having by what you are doing for humanity and society. It's absolutely changed. It's not anymore that I want this and if I achieve this, I've, I've, I've been successful. It's more about I have been given a lot. What am I doing with that to be able to transform, serve, and have an impact? This is the Indianness Podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together. Every story is unique, and we have a very unique one with us today. I'm very excited to have Dr. Setu Raman Panchanathan with us today. People call him Dr. Punch, and I call him Punch. He's the director of the National Science Foundation, NSF, which has a budget of over $10 billion and is the major source of STEM funding for academia, industry, and startups in the U.S. Prior to this, he spent over 23 years at Arizona State University in leadership roles. He was instrumental in starting the School of Computing and Informatics and their Center for Cognitive Ubiquitous Computing. I invited him on this show as I was fascinated by his journey from helping build a leading academic institution to now leading the way for STEM research in the United States. Welcome, Dr. Sathuraman. Dr. Punch, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Sanjay, it's truly an honor and a pleasure to be with you today. I look forward to our conversation. Wonderful. Punch, as you know, in the podcast, we uh, chronicle the journeys of change makers. And the way to chronicle it is to really go back right to the beginning. This is to really inspire others who want to follow in your footsteps, who want to learn from your journey. So can you take us right to the beginning? Tell us where were you born and tell us about your parents. Thank you so much, Sanjay, for that question, because as you rightly said, it all begins right there at the time of your birth. And then the journey then unfolds. I was very blessed to be born to an amazing set of parents. We're going to talk about them more. But I was born in Chennai, India, which used to be called Madras in those days. And my parents, my father was a professor himself. And my mother is a homemaker. And they were both focused on raising children with very good values. And not only through what they said to us, but more importantly, how they lived their lives. I always say that how you live your life is more powerful than what you tell your children to do. So I was very blessed to have such amazing parents. So you talked about how you lived your life. So tell us a little about your dad was a professor. Where was he teaching and what was he teaching, Punch? So he did his PhD from the Physical Research Laboratory in Ahmedabad with PRL, exactly. And his mentors were Vikram Saravai and Professor Ramnathan, who was a student of Dr. C.V. Raman, the Nobel laureate. And so he did his PhD in the late 50s. And then when he had many opportunities to do other things, he chose to come back to Chennai because his, my grandmother, his mom, really wanted him back to take care of the family. And I would say he gave up a lot of the opportunities that he could have pursued, but chose to come back, but then joined an institution called Madras Institute of Technology called MIT. And it was a private institution then, and now is under the Anna University in Chennai. And he worked there all his life, his professional life, until retirement, and then subsequently served in other institutions. So that was his journey. And he was a, a fantastic researcher, highly motivating person, deeply cared about his students. And even today, many of his students who are now in, a, in their 70s and so on, still recall with a lot of fondness whenever I encounter them 
or they will reach out to me sometimes and recall the wonderful moments and the inspiring things that they had through my dad's interaction with them. So that was my dad. And my mom, as I said, was a homemaker, but my grandparents living with us, she took care of my grandparents. She took care of all of us. And the best way I would describe my mom, and she's still alive, and we're grateful for that, is the fact that she actually served with absolutely no expectations. It's very hard to imagine people, even at a very young age, because when I was growing up, she was in the 30s. And even at that time, I watched her serve my grandparents, serve the family and others outside, but without any expectations whatsoever. So that teaches you very important lessons. My father, on the other hand, not only was he serving his parents, but he exemplified the spirit of curiosity, the passion for science, the dictum of excellence always, never compromise on excellence, no matter what, hard work, ethic, and making sure that the family was able to learn from how he was, not in an intentional way, but I know that he knew that if we saw him exemplify this and be an exemplar of these qualities and attributes, that we will most certainly imbibe those. And so I had the good fortune of my grandparents having similar values, my parents having these values, that you oftentimes, Sanjay, you will check yourself. Hey, how did I do that? Or how did I respond in this way? And then I, I call them tire tracks. You go back and you say, aha, it's because you watched your parents or your grandparents do something or somebody, an uncle or an aunt. You learn from a lot of people. Inspiration is all around you. And so for me, I was very blessed to have the inspiration in large measure right inside my close orbit of my family. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point about tire tracks. And that's what we try to figure out is what are the tire tracks of individual? Because we are made up of many great tire tracks. Were you close to your grandparents, Punch? Yes, very close to my grandparents. My paternal grandparents lived with us, as I said, from birth through the teenage years until I left to come to Canada to do my PhD. My grandfather was alive for all the time. My grandmother passed away a little bit earlier than that when I went to the Indian Institute of Science a year after that. She passed, but it was just a delight to have them. I have many stories of how my grandparents molded my thinking. They had this amazing passion for making sure that they served the people in the community, served the family, and went through a lot of hardships and difficulties, but never focused on the hardship, always focused on how they could do more for others, despite the fact whether they had the resources or time or whatever it is to do so, they always gave a lot more than what they had. And that was another lesson, which is a rich lesson, is how do you serve by giving all of your energy, your time, your resources, all of it. And that's something that you learn by watching your grandparents. And I was very fortunate to have amazing paternal grandparents and maternal grandparents who also, although they didn't live with us every summer in the vacation time, we used to go for two months, all our cousins, and spend time with my grandfather and grandmother in Bangalore for those two months, every year, during the early years. And uh, I watched them also exhibit those qualities. And so having this rich collection, as I said, of close family members inspiring you every day, I'm eternally grateful to every one of them. You talked about some memories. Any specific one with your grandparents? Because memories have a very important role, as we will discuss, in how they shape us along the way. So anyone that you remember about your grandfather? Let me tell you about my paternal grandfather. And this is a very interesting episode. 
that explains when I said they give everything more than what they have, right? So my paternal grandfather, every morning at 4.30 a.m., he will go out and pick the flowers for his puja, and he will get the milk from the milkman who will come at that time. And during the winter time, the months of December and January, it's a little bit chilly. And my grandfather used to have a small shawl that he will use to cover his ears and head and so on. So one of his daughters, my aunt, one time went to Kashmir and she said, his shawl is so tattered and old and maybe I should get him a new Kashmir shawl. He protested when she said that to him. She, he said, I don't need any new shawl. The shawl works just fine. I don't need it. But she didn't listen to him out of her affection, boundless affection for him. When she came back, she came with a new shawl and gave it to him. And he was not happy at all about that, that she didn't listen to him. And the next morning, when the milkman came, he handed the brand new shawl to the milkman and kept his old shawl. Now, even if he wanted to give a shawl, and he said to the milkman, you are out in the streets a lot more early in the morning than I am. You deserve this more, right? And so he didn't have even the mindset to give his old shawl to him and retain his new shawl. Instead, he kept his old shawl, which was tattered and so on, and dispensed with his new shawl to the milkman. Now, when you watch something like that, it leaves an indelible impression in you. It transforms you, even as a young person. It makes you think deep and hard. It moves you. And even today, I think about how he gave without holding back. And all of them exhibited the same things. It says that you ask for one story. Here it is. With no expectation of getting something back. Exactly. Unbelievable. Any siblings, Punch? I have an elder sister who lives in Chennai. She teaches in the U.S. International School in Chennai. She's been teaching for the last 25 plus years. And she's been teaching math. She took to my dad's area of astrophysics and did a master's in physics and started a PhD. And then she had her children. She came to Canada for five years with my brother-in-law. And then they went back again because my brother-in-law and her wanted to take care of his parents who are sick. And now she lives in Chennai. And my mom lives with her now after my dad passed. And she still teaches, passionate about her students. Many of her students are doing well. So you can see the imprint of my dad there, deeply caring about intellectual pursuits and so on. And my brother-in-law again, it was an industry and then retired, and then started teaching. And now he's doing a lot of service to society by participating in mobile clinics and so on, giving back all that he can. So that's my elder sister, and I'm the second child, and we are three years apart. And then I have a younger brother, who's five years younger to me, and he lives in Austin, Texas. He says retirement, but I think he's just reframing his career trajectory. From He was a vice president of engineering at Expedian, and just recently stepped down from that role. And he's rethinking about what he wants to do. Uh, he wants to do something which is much more about what he's passionate, which is coding and things like that, that he started his career with. He's a computer scientist. Those are my two siblings. They are amazing in their own ways. And they have imbibed the qualities of my parents and grandparents in ways that sometimes we find common things. But there are differences too. And I cherish those differences because I see all of those through them also. And my brother, younger brother, he even looks like my dad. So when I see him on a Zoom call, it'll give me goosebumps because he'll be just like my dad. And he has, his demeanor is more like my dad. We all have that in our family, don't we? Somebody who's a replica of our mother or father. So that's truly a delight. So just going back, where did you go to your primary school, K through 12? Tell us a little bit about your schooling. Which school were you at in Chennai? So my kindergarten to grade two, was in a school called Holy Angels Convent 
It's in, in a place called Tinagar in, in Chennai. And then we had moved to the place that I grew up most of my life and we still, uh, my mother and my sister will, uh, are still living there, my brother-in-law living there, called Besant Nagar, near the Elliot's Beach in Adyar, in, in front of the Theosophical Society, which is a beautiful place. And when we moved there, I started from grade three in a school for three years until I came to middle school called Sri Vidya. And it was about a couple of kilometers away. As a young three-year-old lad, I used to walk a kilometer, then pick up a bus and then go to the school and so on. And the funny story is when I was in grade five, one of my mother's friends asked if I would chaperone her son, who was in grade three, and take him along with me. And so those are memorable experiences. You, you didn't know much, but you were responsible for a kid yourself. But it was clearly fond memories. And then I came to another school for my grade six, close to home. And then I went to this amazing school for from grade seven to grade 11, because in those days, grade 11 is when you graduated high school. So those years, I went to the Madras Christian College High School. And it was quite a ways away from home. It was a long trek by taking a long bus ride and then walking quite a bit to go to school. But it taught you a lot. It taught you endurance. It taught you independence. It taught you that if you want to get good education, you have to take everything that comes your way and transcend all of those challenges and still do what is to be done. And I'm grateful to my father and my mother for having put me in those schools to really get me not only academic skill sets, but more the important life skill sets, right, which I cherish a lot. And then after I graduated from high school, I went to my pre-university at the Vivekananda College in Chennai. And then I did my first undergraduate degree in physics, Vivekananda College, and then went on to do my next undergraduate degree at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore in electronics and communication engineering. And after that came to IIT, Chennai, Madras, to do my master's in electrical engineering before I came to Ottawa to do my PhD. So that's my academic journey, if you may, from high school to college and so on. But one of the things I learned along the way, in high school, I was very passionate about playing cricket and that continued in college. What position did you play? I was a wicketkeeper opening batsman. Not Dhoni, but close. Close, yes. I enjoyed that position a lot. And I played for the Tamil Nadu Cricket Association called TNCA League. I remember when I first graduated from high school, I scored a century and it appeared in the sports pages of the Hindu and the Indian Express. And I was so thrilled. And it was an unbeaten century. And then went to college, played cricket, also played cricket in IIT Chennai. So those were all memorable days. I carried that cricket passion, although we didn't do much in Ottawa, in, well, I was in Canada for 11 years. But when I came to Arizona, I, I joined the cricketing team there and continued playing until I was 40. When I started to get into the administrative roles, it became harder. We used to play one-day cricket on weekends and with mats and serious cricket with people from South Africa, England, Australia, Pakistan, India, all of them. All of those folks that are there in Arizona, we all gathered up together and formed many teams. It was a delight. So that was my cricketing journey through this. I was very passionate in high school in playing cricket. Sometimes my mom was so worried that I'm just going to be interested in only playing cricket and not pursue my academic aspirations. All that changed in my first undergraduate degree, I would say, where I got very interested in physics. And I started to see my father's passion more clearly and for science. And that essentially changed to me. People would often ask me, Punch, tell me, what is your STEM spark moment? And I shared this actually recently with uh, the ambassador to Australia, 
Ambassador Kennedy, Carolyn Kennedy, she came to my office and I was sharing this with her that how grateful I am to her father for having launched the Apollo program and the space program because I benefited from that in the following way. When I was eight years old, 1969, after the moon Apollo mission happened, they had these moon rocks and other displays that were sent all around the globe. And every consulate hosted these exhibitions. In Chennai, my father had received an invitation. So he took me with him to go to the U.S. consulate in Chennai. And then you're standing in a long line outside, eagerly waiting to see what you're going to be presented with in the exhibition. And then I went and I looked at this moon rock. And yes, it is a rock, but it's a rock that was a product of an amazing set of inventions, innovations, engineering, and science. People going to the moon, picking up the rock and bringing it safely back here. And now, thanks to the United States for sending it all around the globe. I don't know how many more people were inspired like me. I'm sure thousands and millions of people. And so that was my STEM spark moment. When I looked at that, I was blown away. I think it made a huge imprint on me as an eight-year-old boy, what science and technology can do for humanity. And then I look at it a full circle. Here I am. That is so true. That is so true. So when you were at Madras Christian College, uh, Punch, were the studies difficult for you? Was the academic rigorous? Very rigorous. Madras Christian College High School was a very intense, rigorous curriculum. And I had amazing teachers. I'm most grateful to all my teachers. I would not be here today without all my teachers, every one of them. Despite teachers not being compensated as well in India, for example, at least the time that I went to school, they were so dedicated to the education and learning of their students. And so I had wonderful teachers, but it was hard. It was hard. And I have to say that I didn't do well sometimes in my high school years. And for people who sometimes think that you have to be an A-plus student all your life, and that's the only way you can achieve things in your life. I hope that at least my journey is an example of, you don't have to have had perfect grades all through your life, early in your career, early in your academic career journey. At the end of the day, for all of us, Sanjay, you can relate to that. I'm sure many of your other interviewees also attest to it. Some point, it's like a switch turning on. You become passionate about something. And that doesn't have to happen at grade two or grade five or grade eight. It's not at a particular point it happens. It happens. And that happens because of some situation, some people, or something that you get inspired by. And that's what this journey is about, to inspire others. So what you're saying is, it doesn't really matter early on that you're an A-plus student. Well, people should still work hard. I don't think that's the message Punch is trying to give here. But what he was saying is that he probably had times when he was not an A-plus student, but now he's directing academic research, STEM research around the United States and in many parts of the world. Punch, where's dad or mom helping you with your homework at home? My mom was more involved in academic work. My dad was so engaged with his work. I'm sure occasionally if I went and asked him a question, he would most certainly offer us help. But my mom was a passionate person about education, educating her children. She wanted to be a doctor. And at the, when she finished her high school, her father got her married off. And that was a disappointment for her, right? And then she went on to learn Hindi and went to the highest levels in Hindi, in Hindi Prachar Sabha and uh, in Avisharad and so on. And she became a Hindi, uh, informal Hindi teacher at the same time. But for her, education was exceedingly important. So she was a huge help, right? And of course, my sister being elder to me, and you know, she was very smart. Both my elder sister and younger brother were very academically very smart. And my elder sister clearly could help me occasionally also. 
So there were people who were able to help me. But it's back to the point that you made about this. What I was meaning by that is, I always tell even my students today, don't work for a grade, work for learning and the grade will come. If you really learned it, of course, you'll get an A+. But if you got an A+, you may not have learned everything, right? Focus on learning and you know, building the knowledge and excelling rather than just insanely focused on, I need that grade, right? So that's something that I think is very important for people to understand. And then subsequently, when you become passionate, when you start to work hard and learn, the grades came. In fact, I was a gold medalist in my physics, bachelor's in physics program, my first bachelor's degree. That was not the focus. But it happened. It was a passion. Yeah, it is a passion that essentially makes it happen. And the gold medal was a consequence of that passion, is what you're saying. Did you start playing cricket in Madras Christian College itself? The cricket team there was very good. The players were very good. I did not make it to the school cricket team, but I went for the coaching sessions. I probably made it the second, maybe the B team, not the A team. But it was okay. It still taught me about coaching discipline, playing with, of course, passion, and watching the amazing cricketers. One of the cricketers that I used to watch, his name was Bharat Reddy. He then became the wicketkeeper for the Ranji Trophy in, in Tamil Nadu. And all of these people that you watch and you say, wow. And then there was a spin bowler called Arma Madhavan. And he was my classmate. And so there are people like that you watch. And one of the persons that I did have an association with growing up in the place that I grew up in, in Basantnagar, was Krishnamachari Srikant. Oh, wow. K. Srikant. K. Srikant. So K. Srikant and I, he may not remember this, when he was playing for Basantnagar, we have opened together. And I remember one game where he scored 106 runs and I scored only 10 runs for a total of 116. It's a total that matters. The average was 116 between the two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know whether you'll remember that because he has played so many games after that. These are all fond memories. Watch people like that and how they're excelling. In fact, since we're talking about cricket, I'll tell you, I tell people all, often this. I have learned the concept of team spirit. How do you have a team spirit? It takes a team to do things. It's not just about you. It's about the team. About competition is not about the other person. It's about how best you can perform yeah. your performance. And sports is very important for that. That's what all our guests keep talking. So talk about that. Yeah, what did it teach you? What did cricket teach you? It taught me, as I said, teamwork. It taught me leadership. It taught me how to excel, bring your very best to the table. And some humility also because there were better players than... A lot of humility because I didn't excel most of the time. So a lot of humility. But... Every failure is the opportunity for the success next time, right? It's a constant learning. It's a constant and practicing, practicing to make perfect. And that competition, and this is something I, I say all the time to people, competition. Competition is never about the other team or never about the other person. It's always about you. The competition only should motivate you, should inspire you to be better than you can ever imagine yourself to be. So today I look at my journey all my competitors have only made me better. So, in fact, you're grateful to your competitors. In Very grateful. Very grateful. That's fantastic. After Madras Christian High School, you started gravitating towards physics. Is that what happened? Correct. So, talking about failures, right? So, when you graduate from the pre-university, all my colleagues and friends, they got into, some of them got into IITs. I didn't get into IIT. So, you didn't get into IIT at that point. And that's a very important point people to know. IIT is one of the top institutions in the world. Punch didn't get into it at that time, but look what happens next. So please tell us you didn't get in there. I didn't get into IIT. I got very frustrated by that. And then I had gotten 94% in my pre-university marks. I didn't get into an engineering school. And there are a lot of reasons for that. There are 
quota system and so on. We won't get into all of that. But the point is that I didn't make it. And that frustrated me a lot because having scored in a 94% still not being able to get into an engineering school, it frustrated me a lot. And then I said, okay, I'm going to pursue bachelor's in physics. Because my father was a physicist. My sister was doing physics and master's in physics. So I started with physics. And I'm so grateful for all those failures because what I learned is, first of all, the fundamental science, a robust understanding of the fundamental science and building on that, the engineering. And then with what I told you that I did well in my physics undergraduate degree and got into an even more competitive entrance of the Indian Institute of Science, which only had 80 seats in a year that everybody applied for and you were able to make it. So my journey, I would say, was already in my track was laid with lessons that I had to learn. And humility, you talk about humility, it makes you humble and then it makes you focused. It makes you intensely passionate. And then you go through the journey and then you go to the Indian Institute of Science. And then after that, I went back to IIT. So you came full circle in some ways. Wow. How was IIS? How was the Indian Institute of Sciences? They say it's a very great institution, right? Amazing institution. You built some good friends there, a bunch? My classmates still remain dear friends of mine. There are any on your WhatsApp groups by any chance? Oh, yes. We have WhatsApp group for the entire... We got to keep Facebook and Meta successful. Indians do their, their part, as I always say. And my roommate and I are very close. He lives in the Silicon Valley. And so Mani is his name. He and his family and our family are still very close. Many of my classmates, and one of my classmates is actually a professor back in the Indian Institute of Science, Professor Govind Rajan. And he and I are, again, close. You develop those friendships because you're actually living in a hostel with your friends. And the good and the bad and all of that, you share. You coexist and you inspire each other. You motivate each other. And that's an amazing crucible which teaches you a lot of things. I learned a lot through that experience because it was the first time I was away from home. And I was very homesick. And, and you were out of your bubble at that time now for the first time. And there were people from all over the country that were at Indian Institute of Science because now you were interfacing from people from Delhi, Punjab, North, all over that you were now having to interface. How was that experience? That was a great experience because you're out of your bubble, as you said. I think you said it so beautifully. You're out of your bubble, not only from your family bubble, but the bubble of your state or the kind of people that you've interacted with, even language terms, culture terms, food terms, everything. Now you're in a different environment. And so you're learning again, you're adapting, you're growing you're learning, and you're influencing also, hopefully. I think that gave me tremendous amount of learning in those three years that we did the undergraduate program. It was just amazing, second undergraduate degree. And I always say that I started in physics with atoms and then went to electrical engineering with electrons. And then I went on to do my computer engineering and computer science to neurons. And my cognitive stuff was more about working at the neuronal levels. So it's what it taught me, Sanjay. I didn't realize that. It taught me how important multiple disciplinary inspirations are for molding how you look at problems and how you solve problems in a comprehensive way. Multidisciplinary approach is very important. That's a great lesson. Now, why did you apply to IIT? Was it to get revenge that they did not take you in the first time to get payback that I, instead of an undergrad, now I'm getting a master's? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And I know, I know. It is more about, it's an amazing institution. And you want to have that experience of going through such institutions. More importantly, the institutions had amazing faculty. These are amazing people. Again, very selfless. Working in those institutions, they could as well go and work in industry and make four times the pay. 
like my father, those faculty members were all committed to the students and the mission of academic research and teaching and service. So that was a huge opportunity for me. Of course, I got into the Indian Institute of, I got introduced to Indian Institute of Management, Bangalore. I got into the XLRI management. I also applied to the management school. I wrote the CIT. But I knew that my path was science and engineering and technology. So I then went instead to go into my master's program in, in electrical engineering. And again, amazing mentors. Professor Raina was my project supervisor. We, I, I learned about image processing from him. And that led to my PhD pursuit, again, in the same area. And I went seeking after a mentor for my PhD. I had gotten admission in both the United States and Canada. And this mentor worked in image compression, which is the area that I was working on. His name is Morris Goldberg. And I had read his papers. And when I wrote to him, he immediately wrote back to me saying that I want you to come and work with me and gave me funding and so on. So in the interim, I graduated my master's in January and I went to my PhD in fall. In between, I had many job offers. So I did work in a company for six to seven months. That was the Intel's software company in India at that time in the export processing zone in Chennai. Worked there for a few months, then went on to Canada to do my PhD with Professor Goldberg. And that's an amazing journey in terms of working with him. He's a phenomenal mentor. He taught me a lot of things, independence, working across disciplines, solving problems. It's just an amazing person that you had the opportunity to be mentored by implicitly. He didn't say a whole lot of things explicitly, but watching him and learning from him, I molded my own academic journey by looking at his passion and curiosity and excellence and what he accomplished. All of that motivated me to do my PhD in a way and set my career journey, academic journey forward. So you talked a lot about mentors. I just want to address that. and I want to come back to Ottawa in a second, but our guests talk a lot about the role of mentors in their life. Your grandfather probably had an important role. You think they are important shapers of people? Absolutely. Without doubt. Without doubt. They inspire you. They motivate you. They nurture you. And they bring the best out of you. Occasionally, you may even see things that you don't want to be like. That's okay. 99, maybe 100% of all the things that you see in a mentor, you want to emulate. But there might be things that you might say, 98% I want to emulate. These two things I think I would do differently. That's okay. That's also learning as much as the 98% of learning in a positive sense. These mentors, as I said, they are the ones. As I said, when you go back and put your draw the tire tracks back, you will always find tire tracks back to many of your mentors. Oh, that's great. Now tell me, Punch, Chennai to Ottawa is a big change, especially temperature-wise. How was that journey? <laughs> Just walk, walk people through 100-degree temperature to 35-degree temperature. So I'll tell you a funny story. So the first day I go, I land in September, on September 1st in Ottawa, Canada. I was very fortunate. There were family friends of ours who were kind enough to house me until I had a chance to move into my, an apartment. But then it turned out that didn't work out. And I ended up staying with the family during my PhD years. It all worked out that way. When I came the day one, I was in my cricket sweater at a, from the Indian Institute of Science, fully dressed. And I go into my lab and I meet my fellow colleagues. One of them was Eric. He was doing his master's. Eric looked at me funnily and he looked at, he was in his shorts and t-shirt. And the temperature was about 18 degrees centigrade. And in Canada, it is centigrade. So 18 degrees centigrade. And so he comes up to me and he asks me, are you sure you're appropriately dressed for the weather? And I said, you bet I am. And then he says, where do you come from? 
And I said I came from Chennai, where the lowest temperatures I've seen is probably 20 degrees, maybe 19 degrees. And you wear a sweater. And then he laughs and he says to me, believe me, the same temperature back in April or whenever that temperature, April or May, you too will be in shorts and t-shirt. And I said, we'll see. But it turned out that was the case. How soon we adapt, isn't it? And I, having played cricket and an outdoor person that I am, I found it hard to stay indoors and see the sun go down, the darkness at 3 p.m. at the peak of winter and at 7 a.m., 8 a.m. in the morning. And so I said, I got to change this. I got to do something that, that keeps me more physically active. So in the winter semester in January, I went and enrolled myself in a skating course. Okay? Because right behind my university were this long canal in Ottawa. Ice skating, right? And the two universities, University of Ottawa and Carlton University, and the graduate program was between the two universities. So you had to take courses back and forth. And I saw students skating back and forth between the two universities. It's five kilometers apart. So I said, I got to change this outdoor activity business. So I went, enrolled into a skating course, got myself a pair of skates. And the first day, I go to the lesson. And this is taught by a graduate student. And I go to this lesson. And I'm literally horizontal. I'm just not able to hold myself. And so the teacher, the graduate student, comes up and says, what is your goal in this course? I said, more vertical than horizontal would be better, I said. <laughs> That's your physics training coming into play. So at the end, Sanjay, believe me, at the end of the course, I was able to skate. And I did skate in the canal. And my wife, of course, is a figure skater, Somia. And so it all works out. It was a great experience. So you'd asked about how do I acclimatize you do acclimatize. You had to stay wait in the bus stop at 11 or 12 at night when you're going home and it's frigid cold. And then you are taking the bus and going to your home and walking. And as a young person, you go through all of that, take it in stride. And it taught me again a lot of lessons of how you don't, you don't get pulled down by these things. That's true. That is true. Punch, you've had an incredible journey. Now, if you were to just look back and you have alluded to some, and I can mention some, what have been some of the big inflection points when you look back in your life? I can relate to some of them, but I would rather hear it from you. I think the inflection points, I would say, if you think of, as I said, as an eight-year-old kid, your dad is motivating you. As a teenager, your grandfather is motivating you through that instance. I'm just going to go through the instances itself and tell you. There are many like that, but I'm just going to give you ex exemplars, right? And that motivates you. Third inflection point, you don't get into your dream university, right? A failure. And it's an inflection point, right? It makes you double down and build your capacities and develop the passion and focus on excellence and hard work and things of that nature. That's an inflection point. The next inflection point, you come to Ottawa, as you said, a very strange place, and then you're trying to survive. But then you get an amazing inspirational PhD mentor who teaches you implicitly, in addition to what your dad had inspired you with and mom has inspired you with and other teachers have inspired you with. So that's an inflection point for me. And then I come to Arizona because we have seen all of this. Now I come to Arizona. And then after I arrive in Arizona, a couple of years later, there is a new president for the university, Michael Crow. And he comes with this amazing vision for what a public research university ought to do, how we should measure ourselves by who we include and how they succeed versus the standard model of universities where we measure ourselves by who we exclude. And then how do we make research much more about service to the community and transforming the place that you are in and the nation and the globe, of course, right? And so with these kinds of inspirational vision, then you look at that and it just makes you 
think about your own journey and think about how it's an inflection point. And in my research, I said, even before Michael Crow came to the university, I had started a research center focused on serving humanity. And I have a spiritual teacher, Sai Baba, and his motto of help ever, hurt never, love all, serve all, it's deeply ingrained in me. And so when I started the center, it was about how might you unleash the amazing possibilities of people with a range of disabilities. And I have the story of this amazing student, David Hayden, visually impaired student who comes to me and then says that I'm a double major in math and computer science, an undergraduate student, and I'm struggling. Punch, can you help me? Because you have the center. A few years after I started the center, and then I asked him to come in and work with all the other students, me and others. And he takes up the challenge. And to, to make the story short in the interest of time, he, he takes a challenge, comes in, builds an amazing device. And then as a freshman student, at the end of the freshman year struggling, in the junior year, the device that he had built, the note taker, he submits it to the Microsoft Imagine Cup competition, which is a worldwide competition. And out of 325,000 entries worldwide in 11 categories, he wins the world competition on his device. And so, you know, you look at a student, a visually impaired student, and I tell all youngsters, if David can accomplish that kind of a thing in two years, solving a problem for his own need, and but making it available for all the other folks, then all of us can do a lot more than what we are doing. It's a huge inspiration. These kinds of points that you would call as inflection points, inspiration points are truly what makes you who you are today. And what you do today is because of all those amazing inspirations. And so I've looked at inflection points as more inspirational moments, if you may. No, but that's very helpful to our guests. Punch, you've been very, very successful over a period of time. But has your definition of success changed over time? Yes. So let me put it this way. When you start off as a young person, your definition of success is, have I achieved what I desire or what I want? That is your definition of success. Now, to me, success is about what impact are you having by what you are doing for humanity and society? That's the measure of success for me now, because it's absolutely changed. It's not anymore that I want this, and if I achieve this, I've, I've, I've been successful. It's more about, I have been given a lot. What am I doing with that to be able to transform, serve, and have an impact that makes, as, and this is the thing that I say everywhere, how do you make sure opportunities are for everyone everywhere and innovation is also everywhere and can be anywhere? That is the thing that I am working so hard to make sure that you don't take what you have been given for granted, the opportunities that has been given to you for granted, all the motivation, inspiration, mentorship, and the opportunities that have been given to you. How do you now take that and do something for the good of humanity? Yeah, no, that's uh, very inspiring. Punch, when you look back, let's say you're coming out of Madras Christian High School, and just pretend Punch is me, what would be the one or two pieces of advice that you would give the young punch who is coming out of Madras High School, from what you know today. Don't be afraid of the future because most often we worry a lot. If I were to go back and look at myself in Madras High School and ask myself the question, if I worried less, okay, I don't think much would have been different, but I would have been a much happier person, right? I was happy, but I'm saying children do get caught up on certain things I find. And they worry and they're afraid of what might happen. And so give up all of that because that's unnecessary burden that you're carrying. And the burden, in fact, slows you down. Give up all of the worry. Give up all of that because life will open up opportunities and you will seize them. 
and keep your eyes open for such opportunities and always pay attention. And you keep on seizing those opportunities and building your knowledge, your skill sets, your mindsets, and see what you can do more for others. That's what this journey is about. And instead of worrying and being afraid of something or not sure what will happen, if I could shed all of that, I could have probably have in my younger years, maybe I could have been less burdensome to myself. And so that's what I would say is that if I were to reflect back, that's what I would do less of. Worry less, I think is what you're saying, basically. Punch, when we close, we have these uh, lightning rounds of questions that we would love to get your answers on. Give us your definition. This show is called Indianness. Everybody we ask has a different definition, but we want to hear from you. What is your definition of Indianness? I think it is the strong human values you are endowed with as part of the culture. If you really look at the Indian culture, it's about strong human values. The more you're able to assimilate that, the more you're able to exercise that, the more you're able to live with those values. To me, that's what Indianness is all about. Strong human values. That's a great answer. Punch, give us one living person in India or of Indian origin, outside of India, it can be, but not from your family. That inspires you. You saw through my last one hour of conversation, every moment and there are so many people that inspire you. Sanjay, if I have time, I want to share one small short story with you. And then you will see what I, why I'm saying what I'm saying. One day when I was in Arizona, I drive up to LA Fitness to do my exercise. I go to the gym. And I park my car and I go to the entrance of LA Fitness. And I see this homeless person, a young homeless man with his backpack standing outside. So I look at him, say hello to him. And then I go into the gym. As I entered the gym, I realized I had forgotten to take my bottle of water. I forgot to bring it from home. So I asked the lady at the desk, at the front desk, do you have any empty water bottle that I can fill water with from the dispenser? She said, sir, we don't have, but there is a kiosk machine that you can buy water if you want, a water bottle. So I go up to the kiosk machine and the water was whatever, $3, whatever it was. As a person of Indian origin, I couldn't stomach the fact that I would pay $3 for water. You can, I hopefully relate to it and hope listeners will relate to that. I just couldn't stomach myself to buy that bottle of water paying $3. So I come back to the front desk and all through the while, I didn't realize that the homeless person had also come and he was going to ask her some other question. He watched all that I was transacting with the front desk person. When I came back from the kiosk and I did not buy the water, he looked at me and he said, do you want water, sir? I said, yes. And he took his bottle of water that he had. He had two bottles of water when he was half done. The other fresh bottle of water, he just handed it to me. Sanjay, you tell me, if this is a moment of inspiration or not, how do I compare that inspiration that he gave me at that moment to any other inspiration? There is no comparison. So for me, therefore, inspiration is made up. That is, here is a person who is giving all that he has. He is willing to dispense with it. And he taught me such an important lesson that day. And so these are the kinds of, I always tell young people, look around. Don't be so self-consumed. Engage with people. Talk to people. I have many stories of my engagement with various people. We won't go there today. But I find that you learn a lot. So there is, don't miss the chance for being inspired by a particular event or activity or a person. And these are all lessons that you learn that makes your life journey better so that you can do better for humanity. That's an incredible story. Incredible story. Punch, who has been the most and one 
I'm sure you're going to say many, but one influential person in your journey and why? If you were to pick one. My father. Can I ask you something about your father? Did he ever regret not leaving PRL? Because I know PRL very well. I'm originally from Ahmedabad, Punch. So PRL is just an incredible institution. Did he ever regret not leaving PRL? No? Not once, because he was convinced that he was going to Chennai to honor his mother's wish. And his mother and father stayed with him and he served them to the end. And the satisfaction that he derived by taking care of the family, and he had five younger sisters, and all of whom he took care and their families, he felt that was his calling. But he did not sacrifice his passion. He did not sacrifice his research. He did not sacrifice many things that he wanted to do. But he might not have been that person that was the chairman of ISRO, which he could have been, or that person that could have been very wealthy. He did not have all of those things, but that never bothered him. Amazing. Because... On one hand, he was hanging out with Vikram Sarabhai and all those people. And then you're right. The one person, amazing person, Punch. Punch, is there a book or a movie that has profoundly impacted you? It's very interesting. The day that my dad was very sick in Chennai and the very next day that he died, coincidentally, I was in between. I got the call that he was very sick from my sister in Arizona when I was in Arizona. I was watching this movie called The Man Who Knew Infinity. I was in the middle of the movie when I received the call. As I was watching the movie, I was thinking of my father, how similar he was, willing to take any challenge, the quest for knowledge and all of that. I was just thinking, reflecting on my father. In fact, I had taken him to Ramanujam's house because he's from the same hometown as he was in Kumbakonam in Tamil Nadu. So I had taken him uh, two years prior. So that movie has so much meaning to me because it's a reflection of my dad in many ways, but also it happened at a time that when my dad passed, the impression it left on me at so many levels, it's huge and significant. So I don't think there is anything that tops that. <laughs> I completely agree with you on that. That's fantastic. Punch Nike says, just do it. There are other taglines. What would Punch's taglines be if you had a tagline? Opportunity for everyone, everywhere. I love that tagline. I love that tagline. Punch, you had an incredible journey, but we still want to know, our listeners want to know, where do you see this journey going into the future? And I know this is hard to predict with AI and everything else, and you're leading the charge on AI also, and you might want to mention that for people. We have a huge audience of people who are AI enthusiasts, but also tell us a little bit about where do you think this journey is going to go? Because it has profound implications for everybody. I see the task that I'm doing right now, Sanjay. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. It almost feels like what better could anyone ask for than a role to be able to be part of the science and technology vision for the nation and being able to exercise this in partnership with so many other people and being able to lead that kind of activity is truly a humbling honor. And I'm so grateful for that. And through that, I'm trying to exercise this tagline that you asked me of making sure that opportunity everywhere and innovation anywhere as what we want to accomplish for our nation. And through that, not only benefit the individual regions and states in our nation and our entire nation, but also then serve the global good. Now, any position that I can think of or anything that I do, it doesn't have to be a position at all. Who knows what it is? I don't think about my next job. I always have this rule that I follow. Never think of the next job because then you will never do the current job. You will always do the current job because you want the next job. But instead of doing what is right by the job, you'll be doing right by yourself for the next job. So I have this dictum that I never think of my next job. But having said that, whatever I do, I know will be an expression of this fundamental desire for opportunity for everyone 
and innovation everywhere and anywhere. That will probably be what it is. I'm pretty certain that that will be an expression of just that in some other form, in some other type of thing, but it'll be in national service in whatever form it is. Opportunity for everyone, innovation for everyone. And we really look forward to that journey. Punch, I can't help ask one last question about your dad because his story has touched me a lot because, I, as I said, because of my connection with PRL. What do you think he's thinking looking at you today? heading up this agency on science, technology. Have you ever thought of that? I'm trying to visualize he's up there and he's trying to look at his son. Uh, what is he thinking? I hope he'll be very proud. And I hope he's probably reminding me, don't get trapped by titles. Don't get trapped by all the accolades and other things that you might receive. Just stay focused on the mission. Just be excellent every day. Work hard. Deliver the goods. That's what this is about. The rest of it is all, it's all good. It's paraphernalia. The core is this. I'm sure he's telling me, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Stay focused. What a great last words from you, Punch. This has been phenomenal for us, for me personally, really for taking us and being so transparent and open on this journey, but also for our listeners who are looking to get inspired, messages. You've given so, so many messages. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sanjay. You are an amazing interviewer and a person to have a conversation with. And I appreciate that. And another time we will, I know you asked about AI. We do a lot of things in AI. Another time I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk about the AI work that NSF is doing and what it means for the nation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories. 